And then when I finally was able to get into a relationship that was relatively healthy, I questioned it because all I knew about relationships were dysfunction. So when it wasn't dysfunctional, something had to be amiss. The shoe had to drop somewhere. I sabotaged my relationship. Mm -hmm. It was a lesson I had to learn. That was a really hard lesson, but it was something that was really necessary. And I remember him saying that you're not happy. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode. I'm your host, Shirley Hubbard, and I have an amazing guest in the house today. I am so excited. Like, my heart is literally leaping right now that she is here because I've read her story. We've chatted about her story, and oh my gosh, it's been such an amazing journey. And to see where she is now, it's just such a blessing to be able to talk to her today. So welcome, Angela. Hi. Hello, everybody. <laughs> How you doing, Miss Shirley? Girl, I'm so excited to have you here. But before we dive into all of this awesomeness, just go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, why you do it, what sets your soul on fire. Well, currently, well, actually, I shouldn't say currently, but I've always been. I am from Kansas City, Missouri, KC mm -hmm. Stand Up, Midwest. I am uh, actually getting ready to celebrate a birthday here, so I'll be 37 here in a day. So, but I am a poet. I am an author. I have written my first collection of poems a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. um, um, sold out currently, but I'm working on trying to get more. So definitely more details come my way or come your way, I should say. And I also host a radio show locally here called Rue on the Radio every third Saturday on KUAW 98.5 FM. But I've been doing poetry for ooh, 15 years or so, going around the city and really work with teenagers as far as mentoring them in, in poetry and just, you know, basically working with the community and through art. So that's a lot of what I do. Wonderful. And her poetry is good, y'all. So definitely <laughs> check it out. We're going to leave all of her information in the at the end of this conversation and also in the show notes of her episodes. Yeah, like I said, girl, I'm excited to have oh, you Oh my goodness, this, this is great. <laughs> so Angela, I found you when I was doing some research on the strong black woman in preparation for launching this podcast and I came across an essay or an article that you wrote for hair on for harriet.com and it just spoke to me just reading your story so I'm not gonna tell them your story girl I want you to tell them so basically what I wrote about just to kind of give backstory I am the child or the offspring of a very traumatic marriage where there was emotional violence and some physical violence. And being in an environment like that, being a bystander in it, you do feel a secondhand form of abuse as well. Mm -hmm. um, I had a very, very uh, complicated relationship with both of my parents, specifically my father. There were moments like, you know, as a child, you may not have the language specifically for it, mm -hmm. um, but you do have this intuitive feeling of not feeling worthy. Um, right. If your parents don't show you that you are loved and that you are wanted, mm -hmm. um, I never really felt that from my father. And as I got older and their relationship to get, began to get more turbulent and boundaries were not being set. And what I mean by that is, you know, there would be times where they would have arguments and it would be, you know, in front of me, in front of my brother and sister. Mm -hmm. And just knowing grown folks 
business as a child, you know? And so at one particular point, I, my mother came into my room kind of hiding out after they had an argument and she made kind of an offhand comment about, you know, I had bag for you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm 16 years old or so at the time. And, you know, if not really understanding what she meant by that, I asked her, what do you mean by that? And she went on to say that your father didn't want any more children after your brother and sister. Um, wow. They want, he, and so he basically wanted, she had an abortion before me. She had an abortion after me, mm-hmm. but me specifically, I was kind of like, I guess they call it a rainbow child, like the child that you know is a, a, a kind of like a miracle or kind of the child right. that kind of like you have to beg for. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of solidified for me, the fact that my father did not want me. And as a result, a lot of those feelings of like, if the man in my life that gave me life didn't want me, how could any other man want me? So I really felt a certain level of like unworthiness and shame for that. And because of other issues that were happening in their marriage, there was infidelity and that came out. I point blank told my father, I don't want to speak to you anymore. Now we're all living under the same roof. That's the thing. Like on the surface, everything looks perfect. Mm -hmm. Everything like looks Mm -hmm. great because we're living all together. My father never like, he was never an absentee dad in terms of like not physically being there. He was not emotionally available, but behind closed doors, there was a lot of chaos. So when I said I didn't want to speak to him again, I kind of said it in a way where you kind of make a a bargain with God, like, okay, Mm -hmm. we're eventually going to work this out. But it never came to be because my dad committed suicide a month after I graduated high school. And as a result of that, when that happened, there was a lot of guilt on my part. I felt a lot of guilt and because I was felt guilty for being relieved Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I knew that by him, like by him committing suicide and dying, my mother didn't have to suffer anymore. And Mm -hmm. there was this feeling of like, you know, should I, why do I feel guilty about feeling this way? And there was just so much mixed emotions. And so I was in a lot of emotional turmoil behind that. Mm-hmm. And also being mad at my mother, one, for not being strong enough to leave, not understanding her perspective and what she was going through and just kind of looking at it from my perspective only. And also just, you know, just a lot of, you know, just a lot of shame and a lot of anger about everything in general. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of spiraling emotionally. It was at that particular moment that I discovered poetry and poetry really actually kind of saved my life mm-hmm. because I was very angry and I really didn't have any place to really channel that anger and all of those emotions. So I kind of put it into this art form and it kind of gave me an opportunity to kind of release some of that, but I still wasn't well. Right. So as I was getting to be an adult and I was getting into relationships, I found myself in these positions where I was chasing something that these men could not possibly give me, which is unconditional love. Right. Like it's, it's impossible. That is something that a man, well, a boy at age 21 <laughs> can't give. Right. Right. And definitely something, you know, it's like, that. you know, you're not emotionally equipped to handle that kind of baggage. So mm-hmm. I was literally staying in situations that I probably shouldn't have stayed in. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, and then when I finally was able to get into a relationship that was relatively healthy, I questioned it because all I knew about relationships were dysfunction. So when it wasn't dysfunctional, something had to be amiss. The shoe had to drop somewhere. So and you were it, waiting for as, the shoe to drop. Absolutely. And as a result, I I sabotaged my relationship. Mm -hmm. It was a lesson I had to learn. That was a really hard lesson, but it was something that was really necessary. And I remember him saying that you're not happy. And 
And that was, it was, and it came back to me in another relationship as well. So it's like, you know, you get things sent back to you by other people constantly that this same recurring message, you're just like, you know, and I wasn't dealing with it. And Mm -hmm. the next significant relationship I was in was emotionally abusive. And as you can tell, I talk a lot. (laughs) (laughs) You're fine. I talk talk a lot. So (laughs) when you become someone that you're not, like I started to feel not safe in my relationship. Mm -hmm. I started to feel like I wasn't able to voice my opinions without some sort of retaliation, whether it be like an emotional retaliation. Usually Mm -hmm. I started to feel really bad about myself. Like I just became a shell of who I was. And once I got out of that relationship, it was kind of like, what, you know, you kind of hit that bottom, like, girl, what's going on? Wait, what Mm -hmm. we really need to, you know, we need to, we need to figure this out. So ironically enough, I had decided to take on theater and I started acting and I was in a play and the play was centered around women and anger management. Mm -hmm. And as a result of this play, part of our, part of our process was to go through a mock group session with a licensed therapist. Mm -hmm. And the thing was that group session actually was something that I kind of needed and that I got in contact with the woman who did it. And I said, I like your card. I like to, I like to actually go ahead and set up some time with you because I knew that if I felt like that experience was actually something that I really, that God sent me like, okay, Mm -hmm. you need Mm -hmm. to do this. And then it led to that. So Mm -hmm. when I went to uh, Miss Britt Frank, um, She, and immediately after maybe two or three sessions, she immediately diagnosed me with post-traumatic stress disorder mm-hmm. and anxiety. And when that happened, it felt very like, it was like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders. Like I have a name to it now. Right. But then it was like, oh crap, I am a mental health patient. I'm a black woman and I'm a mental health yes. patient. Yes. Black women, you know, we don't, we don't, do, that. We don't do this. Yes. We don't do this. Mm-hmm. And so it was really difficult to explain to friends and family what that all entailed. And, you know, I come from a family like my my family is, you know, Pentecostal on mm-hmm. one side and Baptist on the other. And, mm-hmm. you know, they don't talk to Jesus about that. You know, you exactly. don't need to pray about that. And I think that it was a fight that I had not prepared for. The people that I love the most were actually the ones that were probably the most judgmental mm-hmm. and probably the most the people I had to explain a lot and defend a lot too Mm -hmm. because they just really couldn't get beyond the idea of one it was me and two we we black folks we don't we don't we don't do mental health we don't do shrinks and so yeah we don't do therapy and but it was necessary and going through therapy and still going through therapy now even though I've gotten a lot more clarity and things of that nature Mm -hmm. it has been helpful because one one thing I wish people would know about therapy is that it's not you sitting on a couch and mm-hmm. someone anal- psychoanalyzing you. You're right. literally talking about what's going on with you and you're literally unpacking, unpacking things. Um, yeah. And it's just like, you know, you can a lot of times you can end up kind of figuring it out for yourself, but you have a guide, someone right. who's licensed to tell you, okay, maybe you might want to consider this. Right. Maybe you might want to consider that. Right. And just really assessing and really understanding who you are as a person and getting real honest and real clear about those things without the without the attachment of a personal relationship. You know, because sometimes our homegirls are, yeah. I'm, I was going to say, I'm glad you pointed that out because I was just talking to my daughter who is 18 a couple of weeks 
weeks ago and she suffered from depression for several years and we took her to therapy, you know, for a little while and then she decided I didn't want to go. And then just a couple of weeks ago, she was having, you know, a situation and I was like, I think, you know, we need to revisit therapy. And she said exactly what you said. Well, I don't want to be sitting on the couch telling people about my problems. And I think for her, she didn't realize that in doing that, you are impacted. You don't have all these bottled up emotions that is not you laying on the couch telling a therapist about your problems and pouring your heart out to her. Is you unpack all of that unhealthiness and dysfunction. So I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up. Exactly, exactly. I just know like sometimes we go to our friends and we think we can go to our family members. And true, sometimes it they can be good ears and good people to talk to, but you have mm-hmm. to know that they're not equipped necessarily to handle that. Absolutely. And they may be bringing their own stuff to the table table too, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So going to someone who's like actually trained to handle and deal with those types of things without any judgment actually is a really good thing. So you might want to like, because you might want to separate your personal relationships mm-hmm. from, okay, I got this stuff mm-hmm. and I need to talk to this, about my right. stuff with somebody right. else. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. And I love how you said in your article that when, when you went to church and, and people knew that you were that you were going to therapy, the first thing they, they wanted to say was, when's the last time you prayed or when the last time you had a conversation with God? And I'm a firm believer in God. I, I, I've been saved since I was 16 years old, but I do believe with everything in me that sometimes you do have to have that physical person sitting in front of you to unpack these things. And when, when, when you're saying go to God and pray, you have to do more than just pray. You have to do your part too. Exactly. I believe the word says faith without works is faith what? Faith without works. Amen. That's what it says. It said it's dead. It, <laughs> exactly. it said it in a word. Exactly. It says it in exactly. a word. So, so you have exactly. to do your part. Exactly. And I tell people all the time, it's just no different than you having a physical injury or you having like a, a you know, something that has to be maintained like diet diabetes or high blood pressure, which Mm -hmm. is something really big in the black community. Mm -hmm. You don't go, you can pray to God about your diabetes, Mm -hmm. but you still have to change your diet. You still have to go to an internist to get your medication. It's it's no different. So you don't go to your pastor for your blood pressure medication. You go to your doctor. You go see your doctor. (laughs) Absolutely. Exactly. And so it's the same idea, but I think because it's not something that is a physical injury, Mm -hmm. people can't make the connection. So Mm -hmm. So are, are are you still in therapy now? Yes. I did take a break from it. Mm -hmm. One thing I will also say for people to also understand is that you don't necessarily have to go to therapy all the time. Right. Some people don't need it all the time. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I needed all the time. I was in a really critical place. Mm-hmm. When I went to therapy, I was really like I was having panic attacks on the regular mm-hmm. and I was also coming out of a really bad relationship. So there was a lot of things to really build back up. Right. So once I started, I started feeling like I was at a place where I had the tools to kind of regulate myself and kind of check in with myself. I didn't go to therapy as much, mm-hmm. but I do feel like if you do need to go ahead and check in that, yes, you should go ahead and go into therapy and you should talk to a therapist, make sure that you have a good relationship with this person because it's not a one-size-fits-all type right, thing. You may right. not click with, it may take you five therapists Right. finally find the one that you actually click with. For me, I thought going to a Black woman would be a lot easier because of the cultural aspect. Mm-hmm. There's some things mm-hmm. like family dynamics that I don't have to explain to a Black woman. 
right, versus a right. white woman, but it was a white woman that I actually went to that actually was a lot more like I was able to get more out of it. So it doesn't, right. you know, it just, it's a matter of relationship. It's Absolutely. really, you have to figure that out. And like you say, you may have to go to more than one person before you get, before you find a good fit. I know when my brother passed, I went to a therapist and somebody recommended, recommended her to me. And that person worked for her, but she didn't work for me. She just, like, right. she just didn't give me what I needed, but she worked for my friend. And so I ended up finding someone else. So it's kind of like just trial and error, you know, interview a few people and see how it yeah. works out. Yeah. And you shouldn't get discouraged by it either. I, I know some people will try to go to one and they'll think, oh, this, this isn't for me. No, that mm-hmm. person may not be That for person you. is not for you. Thank you for saying right. that person mm-hmm. isn't for you because I, I'm a firm mm-hmm. believer in therapy and yeah. it's, it's uncommon in my family. Like my daughter, she, she probably won't go again. She went earlier because she <laughs> never, she didn't have a choice in the matter because she was 12 and 13. And I said, Hey, we're going. But now as she gets older, you know, that decision is hers. It's not for me to make that decision for her. So I don't know if she'll go again, but I know she's uncomfortable right. with it. And it's because of the way that we were ultimately raised. Like I was raised in the church and God solved all your problems. And so in my early parenting days, I kind of instilled that in my children too. And so it's still kind of in them, even though I've moved past it, it's still in them. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's always a process. I mean, for the longest time I avoided therapy, I knew I wasn't fine, but mm-hmm. I thought I could go ahead and handle this. I should be able to handle this. And the the thing was, is that you had to get real with is that sometimes you can't handle it all by yourself. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, when you get to that place where you just like, look, I can't do this anymore alone. I need help. Mm-hmm. That's where you kind of start to, when you get real clear about that, then that's where you kind of start opening up yourself to the opportunities to go ahead and get fixed and at least try to get some understanding about where you are. But, you know, but it takes time. Not everybody's going to get there at the right, time. Absolutely. And, and, yeah. and you just have to just let people be where they are and kind of love them through it. Uh, absolutely. That's what I do as a parent. <laughs> That's what, mm-hmm. I, that's what I'm mm-hmm. supposed to do. And I do. I, I do love my daughter through it. But, you know, I always want her to do what I want her to do. But anyway, that's uh-huh. the story for another day. <laughs> yeah, Black mama stuff. That's, that's Black mama stuff. We get it. We get exactly. It. <laughs> Listen, so you titled your article, A Black Woman's Shame. And I think that's, yeah. I think that's what stood out to me the most. Because there are so many things that, that happen in our lives that force us into this space of guilt and shame. And I know you said that, that you went to therapy and, and you worked through all of that. But before therapy, what was your life like? What was everyday breathing and living like for you living in that space of guilt and shame? Well, I can tell you that when on the surface, outside mm-hmm. looking in, a mm-hmm. lot of people thought I had my stuff together. Right. You know, like I never left that. Look, I left the house. I was put together. Yes. If there was anything that, that was for sure. Yes. Right. Yeah. The hair is on point. The mm-hmm. makeup is beat. It's, mm-hmm. Everything looks good. And, you know, also here I am, this poet. I'm out here performing. You know, people know my name. And mm-hmm. it's like people just automatically assume, oh, she really has her stuff together and she's a goal. Mm-hmm. But what they didn't know was that that morning I had a hard time getting out of bed. And that I was when I wig when I did get up out of my bed and I was in the shower, I was literally crying and could not stop. What they didn't realize was that I literally was having not ideations of like 
killing myself, but mm-hmm. just ideations of what if I disappear? Would anybody care? You know, I'm past, you know, I'm, I'm at the point out at that particular point, I'm in my early thirties. Mm-hmm. I'm not married. I don't have any children. Mm-hmm. Will that ever happen? Am I lovable enough to be somebody's wife? And will I ever have the opportunity to be somebody's mother? And is that, you know, am I being punished in some kind of way? Right. Just really looking at myself, like I am just a hot mess and I am not worthy of any love or any kind of positivity in my life. You know, Mm -hmm. I just kind of was on autopilot. So I knew how to turn it on when other people were around. But when I was quiet and it was just me and God, I was Mm -hmm. a mess. There wasn't, you know, you don't really, those are not things that you really talk about when people ask you the question, how are you? You say I'm good. You say say, I'm good. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it's like, do you give the real answer or do you give the stock answer? And a lot of times it was just like, you know, I would be out with people and not really engaging, just kind of being quiet and just thought, oh, she's just quiet. And Mm -hmm. no, I wasn't that I was quiet. It's just that I just was really in a really low space. Mm -hmm. And I was praying actually that somebody would notice it, but nobody did. So Mm -hmm. I was kind of like in my own personal hell essentially. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was really a lot. And then, you know, having this feeling of like, no one likes me, or if I, if I am my complete self, will people appreciate that? Mm -hmm. And everything became really magnified where like, if somebody said something about me that not necessarily in a mean way, but just in a way that's just like, Hey, sis, you know, you know, you're a little, you're a little extra and I am extra, but (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, just in a real loving way, like, no, sis, you're doing a little too much. But instead of just taking that in stride, it becomes a panic attack. It becomes, oh, I'm not, they hate me. I don't, they don't like me. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was real. And then also beating yourself up about it. Like, why are you tripping so much? Right. So it became an internal war of why are you tripping so much versus yes, you are tripping and mm-hmm. it is okay to trip and owning it. So I was exactly. constantly in argument with myself. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was a lot. So in your, in your questions, I think I asked you what, what you wanted our listeners to, or what story you wanted to tell, or what has been your strong black woman experience. And you mentioned that the strong black woman is killing us. And yes, that, it is. You know, our, our our strength is found in our honesty and our vulnerability. Would you say that Angela has arrived? Yes, I do think so because the moment that I got real clear about who I am as a woman and not trying to be anything else but that and just show up as myself in the world. Mm-hmm. My friends changed, my confidence mm-hmm. changed. What I want out of life has become a lot more clear. I think that just being able to say, you know what, I'm not strong all the time. Right. Exactly. You know, I don't have to be strong mm-hmm. all the time and being okay with that. You know, you may not be okay with it over there, but I'm okay with right. it over I'm here. I'm okay with that. And yeah, and I mean that really helped a lot and just being okay with being who I am when I look in the mirror and saying that's okay and I don't have the best days every day like some days I miss the mark like yeah some Mm -hmm. days I'm still a hot mess Mm -hmm. but I allow myself the grace to say okay that was a it wasn't a good day but you know we're gonna hit we're gonna get back at it tomorrow we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna work it out and just knowing that before I would beat myself up so badly Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. it would just be beyond you know it would be beyond anything I literally would be just caught up in a ball and not know what to do where now it's like okay this we know who we are right. you're like I can look at mirrors and say Angela you know who you are and you know what you're about and just being okay with it so over here we define strength on our own terms I like to call it dancing to the beat of your own strong so exactly yes <laughs> I love <Look>. it 
<laughs> that look, because that's how I live my life. I don't let other people tell me what being strong is, but I haven't always been that girl. I'm, I'm that girl now. So how does Angela define strong? What is your strong? My strong is knowing that, whew, that's a deep question. My strong really is is literally what guess, society would deem as weak. At mm. the end of the day, I know that I am a girl's girl. Mm-hmm. I may have my tomboyish ways, but mm-hmm. I know that I am a girl who cries right. when I hear a certain song mm-hmm. or if I see a corny commercial or story mm-hmm. or something like that. Oh, I am someone that is really, really good to my friends. Mm-hmm. Like I am always, I like to consider myself someone like, hey, if you need to call me, I'm there. Right. I define my strong in knowing that I can tell the truth, whatever mm-hmm. truth that is. So mm-hmm whatever truth that is. So, you know, as long as like, I'm very honest and very open about my struggles Mm -hmm. and there's my, and my strength is in that, you know, knowing that I can get up in front of strangers, I can be in front of one person and say, this is, these are my scars. These are my warts. These are, these are the things that I have that are that are part of me they are not who I am but they are part Mm -hmm. of who I am Mm -hmm. and I'm okay with that when I do speak to students I always introduce myself and I say you know my name is Angela I'm I'm a mother I'm not mother but my ooh speaking into existence I'm a (laughs) mother okay girl (laughs) yes but you know I mother somebody that so anyway so I'm I'm literally I'm a daughter I'm a sister I'm a niece Mm -hmm. I'm a poet Mm -hmm. I'm an author I'm a radio host and I happen to have PTSD you know it's one of those things where like that that there are so many other things before that comes up mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. not the end all be all that is not the first thing that defines me right. so these things are important these mm-hmm. that's where I look at it this is part of the story but it is not the story it is not the story yes girl yes mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So in in your relationship with, with your mom, are you guys in a good place now? Ooh, child. Let's talk. <laughs> um, <laughs> here's the thing. Um, and I, I specifically, this is one of the things I, I really am very, very passionate about. The mother-daughter relationship is a very special relationship because, mm-hmm. all right, I'm a, I'm a student of Ayanna Van Zandt. That is, that's the first example of womanhood you will have in your mm-hmm. life as your mother. And that's the first example of manhood you will have in your life as your father. Mm-hmm. Granted, honestly, I did not get the best examples from either one of them, but they're human. They're right. flawed and they have their right. own story. For, my, me, for me and my mother, I love my mom from a very realistic place. Mm-hmm. I had, one of the things I had to do in therapy was I had to bear the mother that I want and I had to learn to love the mother that I have and yeah because the thing is I I was right like I literally the moment that I let go the idea of what I wanted my mom to be Mm -hmm. was the moment that I started to get more peace in my life in terms of our relationship because we were we're very similar you know we have a we have a very interesting relationship where like okay we're literally 30 years and three days apart Mm -hmm. we both are the youngest in our families Mm -hmm. and we you know, so we have that kind of interesting relationship where we just, because we're a lot alike, we bump heads a lot. And so when my father passed, my mom became a different person and she has not gone to 
therapy. And as a result, she is who she is. So mm-hmm. when, what do you do when you've gone and you've done your work or you're doing your work, but the person, a person that's close to you, like your mother, mm-hmm. is still in this really unhealed place? Well, you accept the good part, but you don't deal with the bad part. Right. I had to really create very strong boundaries with my mother mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, if there's anything you get from this conversation is your peace over everything. Yes. Your peace over everything. Yes. And sometimes and that, that means loving people, people from distance exactly and that's the thing so my relationship with mom is that I will check in with her Mm -hmm. I will call her but the moment I sense that there is going to be some sort of emotional violation Mm -hmm. I cut it short cut it I I cut it short I'm like you know I I love you I gotta take this phone call there may not be a phone call on the other end but guess what (laughs) she don't know that so having to really set specific boundaries eventually people will learn what they can and cannot do with you where they can and cannot go with you and you cannot wait on those boundaries because then that's what where that's where the chaos comes in yeah so for me like I love my mom and I know who she is I know her history mm-hmm. I know her trauma mm-hmm. and as a result of that I take in the parts that I can but mm-hmm. the rest of that she can keep absolutely <laughs> absolutely until she chooses to into until she chooses to let it go but I think that we're in we're getting to a place now where like at least for me I can I can I can have a relationship with mom but it just it's going to be different it's not yeah. going to be what I want it to be ideally ideally you know it it is what it is and right. you know that's all you can necessarily all you can do but I'm a peace I'm peaceful now as opposed mm-hmm. to before and I, th- I think that I think it's great that, that you've gotten to that point and you accepted that because I think what a lot of times what we don't realize is that even those people who are close to us have the power to hurt us. And no, they mm-hmm. probably they don't they probably don't do it intentionally, but that relationship becomes toxic. And sometimes Absolutely. you have to let them go, even when it's your yeah. family, you have to let them go and you have to love them with the love of God from a distance Absolutely. for your, for your own I, sanity and for your own peace exactly I, I say that all the time like protect your peace mm-hmm. and everything else will take care of itself but the thing that you have to just really be honest with yourself that you can't be guilty about it right you cannot blame you cannot really beat yourself up over having your peace because Absolutely. you're it's, you only have your only you only have your one life mm-hmm. and even though that person may have given you life you got your life you and you have to life. make sure Absolutely. that you're living it living it with as much ease and calm as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. And sometimes family members are who they are. You just have to be honest with yourself and say, look, you doing a lot. And Too until much, you get girl. that together, you be <laughs> over there, I'll be over here and love exactly. you and we'll talk later. And, and, there's not, <laughs> exactly. and that's absolutely nothing wrong. It doesn't mean that I don't love you. Nothing it wrong just means it. that right. I'm going to protect my space. And right now, exactly. you can't be in here. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Come back later. <laughs> said, there you go. There's nothing wrong right. with that. Nothing at exactly. all. Angela, this is I have really enjoyed talking to you. I mean, like like your story is so amazing. And to hear your voice, and I can hear the happiness and the peace and the joy in your voice. It just, I mean, like, it's so amazing that you said, I'm taking my life back. I, it, exactly. It, it happened. It's not who I am. I'm taking my life back. And you did that, girl. Wait, thank so, you. Thank oh, you. And I mean, whoever listens to this podcast, if you're in that space right now, know that it is just a season. Mm-hmm. It is not forever. 
forever. Mm-hmm. You have to decide whether or not you want to hold on to your life with all hands and all feet mm-hmm. and make sure that you are living it the best way that you can. Absolutely. Because it's serious, seriously, you don't get one. You only get one. You and it's time one. is not promised. Absolutely. And so you have to just be mindful of the fact that get your healing, you know, hold on to that. That's right, girl. Go get your healing. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are going to get ready to wrap it up, but I do like to ask my guests some rapid fire questions just so we can get to know them a little better and just for fun. Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> Wasn't ready for that. Okay. <laughs> so my first one for you is wine, yes or no, red or white? White, white wine. Okay. I'll let you have that when I'm a red wine girl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, trying to get, I'm trying to get grown and get red, but right now I'm on white. You're going to on white. Okay. All right. Yeah. The first thing you notice when you meet someone for the very first time. Their teeth. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> so you're, you're a teeth like, girl. So your husband has person. to have ha- have to have pretty teeth, right? Yeah, he has to have a very good smile. Very, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Man. Okay, so what advice have you received that has been the most rewarding thus far in your life? Mm, really, the best advice that I have received is that you are enough. You are enough. Um, yeah, um, that you are enough. Um, because that word was a very heavy word for me for a long mm-hmm. time. Knowing that I can just show up as myself and just knowing that I'm enough and that, you know, if I keep putting myself out there, the the universe is going to give me the people that I need, the mm-hmm. the, the dreams that I have are going to come. And mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Well, cool beans. We're going to get ready to wrap it up. But before we go, parting words for our listeners, you've given so many already, but just one more time for the people, girl. Yes. So I would say again, for those who are listening, especially black women, we are strong women, mm-hmm. but we have to redefine what that strong is. Absolutely. And knowing that you have the permission to cry, you have the permission to be vulnerable, you mm-hmm. have the permission to be held, you have the permission to have your sister circle, your village, whoever mm-hmm. that is, hold you up when you can't hold up yourself. Absolutely. It's okay to have your moment of vulnerability. You know, I can't do this by myself. So mm-hmm. know that, expect that, lean into that, and your life will be, you know, it'll multiply your joy Absolutely. the moment that you realize that. And where can we find you in the online space? Ooh, Lord, where can you find me? So <laughs> you can find me on Facebook at Ms. with a Z, Angela, A-N-G-E-L-A, Rue, R-U-R-O-U-X. And uh, that is my stage name for my poetry. So you can find me there on Facebook. Also, you can find me on Instagram at Ms. underscore Angela underscore Rue. I'm always active on Instagram. Definitely check me out. Also, same on Snapchat, same handle. So yeah, I'm active out here in these social media streets. So how is girl? Streets, y'all. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I am, yes, I am. But you know, hey, be, be keep it cute in the DMs. Keep it cute in the DMs. Thank you. Y'all and heard you. that. Y'all heard it. Now she <laughs> put that out there for y'all. Don't don't get blocked on social media. <laughs> yes, I don't. I, yeah, my block game is serious. So I, I will. God bless you, baby. Through the, the social media, I will. <laughs> All right, guys. 